Friends, even before we think of confessing our sin to God, God is always ready to forgive us from all our shortcomings and our sins and to restore us to right relationship with him. Trusting in that grace of God, let us pray our confession together. We tremble before you, O God, for we have sinned. You already know what we have done and what we have failed to do. Hear us now as we recognize and admit our actions and inactions in violation of the trust you have placed in us. Enter into our excuses and our pretensions, Holy One, that we might be saved from ministry and mission. In Jesus' name, amen. God's love is everlasting. God's mercy is afresh every new morning. God's compassionate forgiveness is also true at all times. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us now affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now remembering um, Today, that we gathered here as a family of faith and friends, let us greet one another in Christ's name.
Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are grateful that we are not in the Northeast, aren't we? But we do need to pray for those good people uh, who are under blankets of snow and uh, pray that they will be kept well and safe. We are grateful that uh, you are with us in this sanctuary as we gather to worship God and as we gather to hear God's word and wonder what God is calling us to do in the world. And we hope that you will find here not only a place of welcome, but a place of commissioning into service for the sake of Jesus Christ. We uh, would be grateful to get your name on our friendship pad and pass that along to your neighbor. And we would love to know who is sitting near us so that we can welcome you into our midst, whether you have been a longtime member or a first time visitor, we welcome you uh, here. Lots of great things are going on in our life here, and we want to call your attention to a few of them. We uh, have a blood drive going on today, so if you are in a position where you could uh, give a pint of blood today, we would love for you to do that and check out the blood mobile in the parking lot, and uh, they would be grateful for your uh, sacrifice of time and uh, a little pinch, and, uh, and you will make somebody else's life uh, perhaps uh, lengthened by, by your doing that. We also uh, would like to call your attention to uh, the Sarasota Pops concert this afternoon at three o'clock right here in the sanctuary. And if you've had the chance to uh, uh, hear that wonderful, uh, that wonderful part of our music culture here at Church of the Palms, you will want to come back again and participate in that as well. We uh, will be getting our Lenten season coming up on Wednesday. Ash Wednesday begins our journey to the cross and to the empty tomb. And so we invite you to join us here in the sanctuary for our Ash Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. on Ash Wednesday. You may want to come and join us for dinner before that. And then here in the sanctuary at 6.30, that begins this journey of, of Lent. And uh, we're going to be encouraging you to read with us through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is 21 chapters. You can read through it actually twice during the season of Lent if you read a chapter every day or if you're not a fast reader, half a chapter a day for uh, the, the season of Lent. But uh, we want to take a walk with Jesus uh, through the Lenten season. So we invite you to open up to the Gospel of John and begin your journey with us. If not, uh, if not reading through it twice, at least through, it, through the Gospel once. And on Sunday evenings, beginning next week, we will also look at the Revelation to John, the book of Revelation, the last, chap last book in the Bible which uh, is always a, a mysterious book for many of us. And we're, I'm gonna be teaching a class on Sunday evenings at 5.30 on the book of Revelation. So uh, both our journeys with, the, with John as we seek to understand more of what God is calling us to do during this Lenten season. Also, we want to make you aware, if you would like to learn about membership here at Church of the Palms, we have a new members class coming up this Saturday at 9 o'clock, and it goes from 9 until 12. And if you'd like to learn more about our life here at Church of the Palms, uh, please let us know that you'd like to come to that, and we will put your name down on our list. And then also on page 13, there is an opportunity, a very unique and new opportunity for you here at Church of the Palms. We are expanding the ministry of our Board of Deacons to include uh, a new uh, version of deaconing called Shepherding Deacons. And this is an opportunity to invite many of you, if you have an interest in caring for people and, and an interest in, in reaching out to members of our congregation, we are calling forward Shepherding Deacons who will be 
nominated and elected to reach out to uh, little flocks within our congregation, five to seven families, households, who will receive a, a, a regular call, uh, a little uh, encouragement to be uh, committed to praying for these people throughout the course of the day, every day, every uh, throughout the year. And this is just a chance for you to uh, to exercise your gift of compassion and caring for a part of our congregation. So I invite you to take a look at page 13. There's a nomination form there. If you'd like to nominate yourself, great. If you'd like to nominate somebody else, ask them first. No, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, give us their name as well. And we will be collecting those names. Our goal is to have 300 shepherding deacons who are taking care of little flocks within our church contacting them directly and regularly, praying for them every day as a way by which to connect with our entire congregation and care uh, more diligently for them. So we invite you to take a look at that. If you have any questions, Dr. Brown back here will be glad to answer your questions. Mingy is uh, gonna be coordinating this effort and we would love to have you uh, help us out with that. And then finally, uh, Thelma Weber turns 97 this past Friday, and so we are grateful for uh, her life and celebrate with her as well. Jeff McCauley is our brand new Director of Student Ministries. Come on up, Jeff. And uh, Jeff is gonna share with you a little bit about himself, as well as uh, a great opportunity for you to partner with us in our student ministry here at Church of the Palms. Thanks, Steve. Good morning, everyone. As he said, my name is Jeff McCauley. I am the brand new director of student ministry here at the church. I've been here for about two and a half weeks, so I officially know everything. You can ask me any question and I should be able to answer it for you. <laughs> I just moved down here with my family, my wife Kim and my three children, Lily, Luke, and Lucy. Lily is four, Luke is three, and Lucy is four weeks old, five weeks tomorrow. Uh, so as if we haven't done enough new stuff, we decided we'd move to Florida. <laughs> Originally by way of Indiana uh, and Purdue University where I graduated in 2001 with a degree in computer graphics technology and as you can see I'm using that degree in a very very good way. Um, God had other plans clearly. <laughs> so I want to thank you for letting me be here for allowing me to be a part of this church family. I've learned a whole lot just in the last three weeks and uh, I'm really excited to see how God is going to use uh, this church to help grow me as well in my family. So thank you for letting us be a part. Uh, as I said, I'm from Purdue University, graduated there. I, I hear there is a certain someone here that has an affinity with another school from the Big Ten, um, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, I do believe, Pastor McConnell, that uh, Purdue did beat Michigan in football in 2000, uh, but we did have Drew Brees, to be fair. So... Uh, I, I did, I went like online to look and see uh, when Purdue beat Michigan, which was not very often, uh, so that ruined my Google search experience, but we did have an astronaut land on the moon, so can't really beat that. I'm here to talk to you today very briefly about something called Student Sponsorship Sunday, and uh, that is a, an opportunity for you as the church to embrace the students of your congregation uh, by giving $72 or less, or more, you are offering to supply these students with an opportunity that they may not otherwise have to go to summer camp. Uh, whether it's a mission trip or whether it's a regular summer camp, it's an opportunity for them to grow in their faith, an opportunity for them to grow with one another, um, but also learn what it means to be in relationship with Jesus and to serve other people. Uh, 
I am a product of summer camp. In 1996, I went to a Young Life camp in Wisconsin, and it forever changed my life. I would not be standing here today if I had not been at that camp. It helped me to understand what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus, and it helped me to understand not only that, but there's so much more, that it's about community as a church, and it's about serving one another, and that I can have an impact, no matter how small, I can have an impact. And by supporting our students, through the student sponsorship through 2013, you have an opportunity to be a part of something greater. And it's not just about giving money. It's about so much more. If you're not willing to give or you're not able to give in this moment, then you can also offer prayer and, uh, and time. And those are great ways to, to give of yourselves so that others may benefit. So if you have not received this in the mail already, some of you have, some of you should be getting it this week, Go ahead and grab it. It's already in your bulletin, ready for you to fill out. You can fill it out and drop it in the buckets that our students are holding at the doors as you leave. Uh, I'd like to quickly just leave you with one, one quick word. I asked one of our students this week what summer camp meant to him, and these were his words. Jeff, it's kind of like a gray area where heaven and earth meet. I don't know if I could have described it any better, but it was a place for him to grow and meet God in a way that he wouldn't otherwise do so. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. We're excited to have you here. I hope you heard me before he went out the door. <laughs> well, it's time for us to gather together as we pray as a body. Shall we pray? O oh Lord God, we want to try to express how blessed we feel this day, and sometimes words escape us. There's no doubt that your love for us is real and reaches to the ends of the earth. As the psalmist says, there's nowhere to go except to find you already there, waiting for us and ready to meet us and lead us home. We look around us in this congregation and we see brothers and sisters, people who share our faith and who have shared our joys and sorrows. We look at the crosses and we see a symbol of your commitment to our salvation and to your amazing, amazing grace. We look in the scriptures and see that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that you search for us when we're lost and you celebrate with the angels when we're found. We rejoice and give thanks for your offer of love and friendship with you, O Lord, for your presence with us, your sacrifice for us, for the answers to many prayers. We thank you for friends who are faithful, for people we can call on and count on when we are stretched beyond our limits. We thank you for the teachers and the mentors who have cared enough to speak the truth in love to us and show us a Jesus who calls us who are ordinary into extraordinary living. This is all good, Lord, because we're often slow learners. You show us the way, but we can try to find an easier shortcut and do the things our way. And often those shortcuts end up as a dead end. We take the creation you give us and we are listless about how to treat it. There's discord sometimes where we need harmony. So we pray that you'll help us not to compromise what you have made and what you've created in us and in our world. 
Help us see those heroes who work quietly for the good of others as the best, who creatively address problems, hunger, disease, and others. We pray that you'll sustain those who are still working to repair the damage done in places that, the, that have faded from the front page. Be with us as we turn to your word with hope, and we pray that as we come to our senses, you'll teach us humility, that we need to be wise. Give us the patience we need. Grant us the spirit of obedience. Console those this morning whose eyes are flooded with tears and whose hearts are drowned by sorrow and grief. Give rest, we pray, to those made weary by burdens. Strengthen the resolve of those who may be sorely tempted this week. Calm the minds of those with anxiety and be with those, we pray, who cannot be with us. Our shut-ins, our civil servants, our soldiers, many in dangerous situations around the world. Lord, we pray you'll make us extraordinary servants and witnesses for you. So as we approach Ash Wednesday and Lent, please allow us to be open to your suffering for us and allow us, we pray, to commit to be disciplined and changed. We pray that you'll help us as we hear your word, prepare our hearts, help us to find better ways to express our gratitude for what you've done. So now as we worship, may we not go away hungry from this spiritual feast. Help us to fully incorporate the sense of purpose and worth that we derive from your call to follow you and more passionately seek your will for our lives and for your church. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, especially through the words of the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory, forever. Amen. And now let us present our tithes and offerings before the Lord. life. 
Dear Lord, we acknowledge that everything is yours. There is nothing that we could give that would make you any richer. Everything that we give is an acknowledgement that we live because of you. So we pray that we will receive these gifts and help them wisely to be applied to your work on earth. Bless those who give, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
we'd like to invite the kids to come on down. And you guys, you guys are awesome. Thank you for sharing your voices and that gift with us. And as the kids are coming down, I wanted to let families know that we are also doing an Ash Wednesday service. We are going to start in room 208. Jeff and I are going to do an experiential thing for kids pre-K through high school and their parents, and then we're going to come into the sanctuary and join the rest of the faith family, but we want to do some explaining and some um, experiencing first. So, with that, we are continuing our conversation on, we got it this time, peace, on peace, and today we're going to talk about choices. So we're going to look back at the beginning of the Bible, sorry about that, to Genesis, and there were twin brothers named Jacob and Esau, hello, and Esau was this big, burly man who hunted. And Jacob was kind of more like a gardener. Well, one day, Esau had gone out and hunted. That's awesome. This is awesome. Look at our Boy Scout. This is so awesome. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even see you. Sorry. I had to, couldn't see me yet. Walter Holmeister. Anyway, so... <laughs> Back to my story. Esau was hunting all day long, and he was so hungry. He came home, and he said, I'm starving. Well, fortunately, Jacob had just made a big pot of stew. He said, please, please, can I have a, a bowl of that soup? And Jacob said, well, you got a choice to make. Here's your choice. I'll give you a bowl of soup, and you give me your inheritance, which is all of his money and his land. What do you think he chose? What do you think? What do you think he chose? He chose the soup. He chose the stinking soup and gave away his inheritance. Oh, my goodness. Well, then Jacob tricked him a little bit later, and he took his blessing as well. So at the end of the day, Esau is mad. No, no, no. He's not mad. He's furious, and he screams, I'm going to kill you. Have you ever had a brother or sister say that to you? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> You know what? I even said it to my big brother when I was a little kid, but I didn't really mean it. I think Esau meant it, and Jacob thought so too because Jacob grabbed all of his stuff and he ran away. Fast forward. 20 years, these two brothers are coming together again. Once again, Esau has a choice to make. Should he love and forgive his brother, or should he kill him? What do you think he did? He loved him and he forgave him. Sometimes to keep the peace, you have to let go of what's fair because it wasn't fair that Jacob took all that stuff, but Esau chose love. We're going to talk about this a lot more in kids' worship, but let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for showing us Esau, and we just ask that you help us be more like Esau, that we choose peace and love over always having to be, even when things aren't fair. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our other scripture this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 23. Hear the word of God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were way down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silence. And in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We ask by your grace, O Lord, to allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh, that we may know more of how you would wish us to follow you, to take up our cross, to lose our lives such that we might save them. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine that you are on a flight to Chicago. The plane has taken off. The flight attendant has served the customary soft drink and bag of peanuts, though I don't think they're serving peanuts anymore. <laughs> and the pilot has announced over the intercom that the skies are clear and that there should be no problem making the estimated time of arrival. You nestle into your seat. You open up a book you've been looking forward to reading. About a half hour later, the pilot comes on the intercom and announces that the headwind's been a little strong and the chances of arriving in Chicago by the estimated time of arrival are a bit slimmer. But, says the pilot, as you know, we are committed to on time, uh, uh, our estimated times of arrival, so we will do our best to get to Chicago at the time we told you we would. You are grateful for the pilot's efforts. About a half hour later, the pilot comes back on the intercom and this time says, friends, the, the headwind up here is really pretty stiff and there is a lot of air traffic around Chicago and so there is no way 
We are going to get to O'Hare by our estimated time of arrival, but have no fear, the pilot says. We are committed to arriving on time, so when we get to that estimated time of arrival, wherever we are, Lake Michigan, an Indiana farm, south side of Chicago, we will land this plane. <laughs> this is how committed we are, he says, to our estimated time of arrival. Something tells me that you might want that journey to continue beyond your ETA. What is your ETA? What is your estimated time of arrival? And how committed are you to it? I think we all, if we were honest with ourselves, would admit to having come up with some estimated time of arrival for our lives. I suspect for each of us, there is some sort of marker that tells us that we've made it. If you're in high school, maybe it's a choice of a college. If you're in college, maybe it's the choice of a career. If you've chosen a career, maybe it's getting hired to your first job. If you're working, maybe it's getting to a certain position or level of pay. If you're a parent, maybe it's getting your kids raised and out of the house. If your kids are out of the house, then maybe it's retirement. If it's retirement, maybe it's keeping healthy and solvent. And we say to ourselves about these estimated times of arrival that if I could just get to that time in my life, well, then I can relax, I can coast. I can start doing something I've always wanted to do. What is your estimated time of arrival? And how committed are you to it? In our lesson this morning, Jesus has taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on top of a mountain in the northern regions of Israel. And as they are up on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured before them. No one quite knows what this transfiguration is really all about. To be sure, Jesus takes on a very mystical appearance. His clothes and face become brilliantly white. The glory of the Lord is not only evident, but it's overwhelming. And on top of that, the figures of Moses and Elijah, the two great prophets of Israel, appear alongside of Jesus. Jesus. Now for three humble fishermen, Peter, James, and John, to put it mildly, this is what shall we call a mountaintop experience. It doesn't really get better than this. I mean, this is, if you're a disciple, this is the culmination. They have reached their estimated time of arrival. So who can blame Peter for wanting to set up shop there? Who can blame Peter for wanting to set up residence? Peter tells Jesus that, that he is more than willing now to build them three places to stay. Peter wants to make this mountaintop their home. Let's build some houses, Jesus. Let's, let's make this mountaintop experience. Let's lock it in. No need to move on. We have arrived at our estimated time of arrival. I love Peter. I love Peter because Peter ends up often saying things that you and I would say. For how often has it been that you and I have arrived at some moment in time, maybe some particular accomplishment or some particular blessing or maybe even some religious experience, and we want to somehow make this the time of arrival. We feel like we have arrived. We wonder if it could get any better than this. I remember as if it were yesterday, the day I graduated from high school. Now, high school for me was a blast. 
I just had a great time in high school. The world seemed to be my oyster, president of the student body, captain of the basketball team, worst basketball team in the high school's history, but captain <laughs> of the basketball team. I was on the mountaintop. I remember the last day I pulled out of that high school parking lot and drove past that school. I had melancholy. I thought to myself, I'm not sure it's going to get any better than this. Four years later, I'm driving away from my college campus after an amazing four years, having met my future wife, having received a call into the ministry. And I said to myself, man, I don't know if it can get better than this. Not sure how many times I've said that to myself when I left my church in Philadelphia. I wondered, it can't get any better than this. When I left my church in New Jersey, I thought, can it get any better than this? Now, having been here for a while, I can't imagine it getting any better than this. So Peter wants to set up residence up on the mountain because he loves the experience. He's found the glory. Who doesn't want to hold on to the glory? Who doesn't want to hold on to all the good stuff? Who doesn't want their religion to be about the things that are good for them? Let's set up shop here, Jesus. Let's make a religion about what works for us, Jesus. Let's just hold on to the glory. But what Peter doesn't understand is that the glory, the glory of the transfiguration is just a stop. It's just a stop. It's just a stop along the way. The Father glorifies the Son because the Son is on his way somewhere. What Peter has failed to remember is just a few days ago, Jesus has told his disciples that he is on his way somewhere. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to Jerusalem, and there he will confront the chief priests, undergo great suffering, be rejected, and be killed. This is the road that Jesus is on. This is the way. He's on a way. He is on the way of obedience, of justice, of faithfulness. It is the way of the cross. That's the promise that Jesus makes with the disciples. He promises to them a way. Follow me, take up your cross, lose yourself and you will save your life, is what he says. He promises a way. He does not promise a home in the mountains. He does not promise an estimated time of arrival. He does not promise a certain set of results. It's true, isn't it, that sometimes our spirituality, our prayers can be focused on a, on a search for certain results from God. We want to see God deliver on what would be for us a satisfactory state of affairs. We want, we want to get from God the glory. Peter likes results. He wants to plant his time of arrival on top of the mountain inside this cloud of glory. He, he's like the rest of us when we say to ourselves and to God, you know, when's it going to happen, God? When am I going to get that ultimate peace? When am I going to get that grand sense of fulfillment? When will I see the glory? When will you deliver on the results? And so it leads us sometimes to some sloppy conversation about things like prayer. We think that prayer is about results. That prayer is about getting results. Lord, I need you to deliver on this. I need you to reveal yourself this way. And we consider God faithful when he delivers on the results. 
couple years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who had been out of work. He had been working for a corporation and got downsized. And he came to me a few weeks after that, very happy because he had found another job, a corporate job again, actually making a little bit more money than he had been making. He said, I owe it all to God. I, I asked God to find me a job. He found me a job. God is so faithful. Not wanting to steal the joy from my friend's story, what I did not say was, did it take God to get you the job for him to be for you faithful? In other words, is your God a God primarily of results? Is your God a God who delivers? Is your God a God who shows up only in the glory? The cosmic bellhop. Is your God, is your God a God of results or is your God a God of the way? A God who is faithful to show us the way. The way of bearing the cross, of giving life and faithful following. Because you know, when Jesus leaves the Mount of Transfiguration and heads to Jerusalem to ascend the Mount Zion and then to ascend the Mount of Calvary, there is very little he has to show when it comes to results. A rabbi in his early 30s strapped to a cross is not anyone's idea of results. But Jesus isn't after results. Jesus is following a way. He's teaching a way. It's a way that saves us. It's what the voice was saying in the cloud of glory. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. It's the voice of the Father sending them all on their way. Listen to him. Follow him. I glorify him today so that you may follow him tomorrow. There are no times of arrival. There is only a way. Because you see, when you live your life in terms of times of arrival, when you make your relationship with God about God delivering on time what we need, when, when you think that God only meets us up on top of the hill or on the mountain, then there will always come a time when we look at ourselves as being over the hill. Peter didn't want to be over the hill. He was so afraid of being over the hill, he wanted to be on top of the hill. He wanted to arrive and stay there. He didn't want to leave this God of glory behind. But life isn't about being on the hill or over the hill. Life is about a way. Life is the journey of doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with your God. Loving God, Jesus says, and loving neighbor. Who knows where that will take you? But there is no such thing as arriving. One of the great mentors of my life was my high school principal, Bob Shoblin, a great man, faithful elder in the church, a committed educator, a great principal, and was for me a mentor. He was a principal for scores of years. He's ran one of the best high schools in the state of Michigan. So at age 65, he retired. Over 40 years of teaching and administrating, well done, good and faithful servant, they said to him. 
And no one would have blamed him for taking his dear wife up to some Michigan cabin on one of those great lakes and for him to claim his time of arrival. No one would have blamed him. In fact, they would have cheered him. Instead, though, Bob and his wife just went on their way. They packed up their bags and moved to Alaska to teach and to run a mission school up there to work with kids who didn't have teachers to teach them. It was for them just the next step in the journey, living without an arrival time. It's a lot of what Lent is about. Lent is that great gift that's given to us in the church to intentionally explore what the spiritual journey is about. Three days from now on Ash Wednesday, the people of God throughout the world commence a journey to Good Friday and to Easter in which they ask life's great spiritual questions. Where, where am I now, but where am I going? What is the meaning of my life? What is my God-given calling? What sin do I need to confess? What cross do I need to take up? So as I said, we will journey through the Gospel of John. We will reflect on the revelation to John on Sunday nights. We will have our conversations with Jesus, not to submit an order for delivery, but to wonder about the way he leads us to, the way that has no arrival point, just a destination always in the one who calls himself Alpha and Omega. You may have heard the story about J. Hudson Taylor. J. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China during the 19th century. He founded the China Inland Mission, which became the center of Protestant missions in China. After 45 years in China, Hudson Taylor returned home to England, his native country. And when he landed there in Southampton, he was on the same ship, it turns out, as Teddy Roosevelt. And when the ship docked, there was, a, there was a band waiting for Teddy Roosevelt, and they played the music, and the crowd was there for Teddy Roosevelt, and there was confetti and streamers and applause, and Teddy Roosevelt was carried off the ship on the shoulders of his admirers. There was a parade in town for Teddy Roosevelt. Hudson Taylor just sat there. The church committee that was supposed to meet him never showed up. After two hours, he put down his suitcase on the dock and sat there by himself. I didn't expect a band or a cheering mob, he thought, but there should have been somebody here to welcome me home. But then Hudson Taylor writes in his diary, but then God spoke to me. Hudson, he said, you're not home yet.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.